Well, good morning, Harvest, and uh, boy, what a delight it is to be here together. Thank you for being here today. Uh, We highly value this time that we have together, and I'm thrilled that we can do it. Well, today we finish up uh, the three W's, as well as actually our whole fall series. We've been uh, purposely spending this fall as a church, both here on Sundays as well in small groups, as seeking to remind ourselves what we're really all about, especially as we jump into, have been jumping into this whole facility campaign process. And we've been talking about who we are and what we are about and how we go about doing that. Um, And just a side note here, I'm so looking forward to getting back into what is really our normal uh, process here on Sundays of opening up a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible and walking verse by verse through that and I'm looking forward to that and just want to let you know that starting on December 2nd, uh, we are going to be in our Christmas series. Uh, We're going to be going through Luke chapters 1 and 2. He will reign and of his kingdom there will be no end. How sweet is that truth? Coming out of Luke chapter 1 verse 33, uh, he will reign. Christmas is right around the corner. I love it. Um, Well, today is the third of the three W's and so far we've covered... Uh, The first W is uh, worship Christ, worship Christ. We view this gathering time together as a big deal. All of life is the worship of Christ, but we here view this as a big deal as well. And we, as we talked about, we view it as a big deal because God designed it, God designated it because Christ is the head of it and because of all that scripture says about it. And what we talked a few Sundays ago, worship Christ. The second W is walk with Christ. We highly value discipleship and disciple making. And small groups are a big deal to us. And they're a big deal because glorifying and growing in Christ is to be done in a context of community. We've talked about that. That is the normal pattern in Scripture. And it just happens to be that for us, small groups is the design for the context of community to be able to have gospel-centered community doing life on life together. And it's a big deal to us. And I just want to note, I'm so grateful for the 22 adult small group leaders and couples that we have that are involved in leading small groups. I'm so grateful for our... Absolutely so grateful for our teen leaders as well, taking that on. And uh, I mean, in all reality, you are the Epaphrases. You are the Priscilla and Aquilas of uh, to Epaphras to Colossae and Acts 18, the Priscilla Aquilas who you have full-time jobs, you have full lives going on, you work here hard on Sundays, uh, and then you do the hard work of preparing for small group and the hard work of doing small group and you know life on life ministry and its ups and downs Uh, welcome to the roller coaster and i appreciate your perseverance sometimes it's a blast sometimes it's kind of nauseating um you know in the process of it but that's real life on life also with that i just want to thank pastor eric for all that he does he is so helping us in uh, getting to a far better place with our small groups absolutely And uh, we're just at a far better place with training and equipping of our small group leaders than we ever have been before. We're actually, believe it or not, further ahead in planning for the next round of small groups than we ever have been before. And small group leaders, you're going to be hearing from Pastor Eric here in a little bit about 
the material choices, and I'm excited about it. We're jumping into this spring, fall is going to be a Bible theology focus. Uh, we have Bible theology and kind of Christian life. Those are the two things that we go back and forth on through, uh, through each year. So I'm grateful for him and all that's happening. Well, the third W, uh, worship, walk, and then work, work for Christ. Um, Doug, uh, you are likely going to be talking today about having a high view of serving. I am. Uh, You're going to probably be challenging me to step it up in how I serve and serving. I am. Uh, You may have a very good question, and that is why. Why? Uh, This has really been these three W's, the whole thing. Why view this as a big deal here? Why view small groups as a big deal? And why view working for Christ as a big deal? Well, let me answer it this way. Because follower of Christ, your master has called you, you his slave, to work for him. Grab your Bibles and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, you may be going, (laughs) Doug, seriously, did you really mean slave? Um, Did. Did. 2 Corinthians 5, if you don't have a Bible, Jake's coming around to flag him down, grab a Bible. It's kind of around here, by the way, with that. If, if you're newer here, I understand. If you haven't been used to bringing your Bible to church, I can understand why. And, uh, but around here, we really have a high view of it. We want a Bible on your lap open. So if you've been here for a little while and don't bring your Bible, hey, can I lovingly just uh, say, bring your Bible, okay? Because uh, you don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what God's Word has to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Uh, For the love of Christ compels us. It has this idea, for the love of Christ rules us. Because we have concluded this. Christianity, by the way, is a thinking reality. It's concluding something. It's cognitive thought that has been gathered and assembled together, coming to a conclusion on it. And this is the conclusion. That one has died for all. That's a lot of love. Therefore all have died. And he died for all, look at this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. A redeemed person in Christ, who are you living for? Redeemed person in Christ. Who are you working for? Look at verse 15 again. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him. Uh, Repenting and coming to Jesus Christ was not a merit bads transaction. It is a title transfer. It is a title transfer of full ownership. You may have heard the illustration, and it is a good illustration, um, about this idea of I'm driving my life, I'm about to head off an eternal cliff, but then I hand the wheel over to a different driver, it is Jesus Christ. But here's the deal, here's what that misses. You haven't handled the, handed the wheel of your car over to Jesus Christ, and it's still your car. Coming to Jesus Christ is handing the wheel over, the keys over, and signing the title over. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just a little to the left in your Bible. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6. A title transfer, a total transfer of ownership. Verse 19, Paul, in the context of uh, talking about a messed up church, and his, the Corinth was one of them, and Paul's trying to help them get unmessed. And he's talking with them, and he's in this area of sexual morality. And then verse 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Whoa. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, and you've been title transferred over. So glorify God in your body. You've handled, handed the wheels, the keys, and the title over. Do you know that? That's the reality of the gospel. So I can say this, or ask this. Bought and retitled person in Jesus Christ. Who are you living for? You know, the Bible uses... Uh, all kinds of terms to identify the follower of Christ. And they're great picture words and terms. Let me list a number of them for you. Alien and stranger. I may fit that one more often than I want to admit. Alien. Alien and stranger. Citizen of heaven. Light to the world. Heirs of God. Joint heirs of Jesus Christ. Oh my, that's awesome. Members of his body. Sheep and his flock. Ambassadors. Friends. Athletes, fighters, soldiers, branches in the vine, newborn babes. Yet there's one term that is used more than any other term to give a picture of what a Christian looks like, and the word is doulos. Go to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. And while you're there, and once you get there here, I'm going to, a couple things here I want to cover before we read, but Titus chapter 1. You know, it's interesting to, to note this, that in uh, early church times, uh, many believers would actually refer to themselves as the Lord's doulos, the Lord's slave. Think about that. Hey, who are you? Um, I'm the Lord's slave. Does that not already like give you a different sense and feel and picture of what the Christian life is supposed to be? I'm the Lord's slave. I'm not a hired servant. I'm not a spiritual employee. This is not a lease-to-own program. I'm his slave. You redeemed one in Christ. The word that the scripture uses more than any other word to picture who you are is slave. Today we hear, uh, be all you can be. You know, Got to have lots of personal ambition. Uh, be self-esteemed. Fulfill your dreams. Be your own boss. Instead, uh, the Bible says, Christians, you were bought. You were bought with a price and you are a slave He owns you. Submit. Oh, Doug, you're going at it. Yeah, I am. Just ponder this. Revelation 22, verses 3 through 4. Don't go there. Just hear me. 
It talks about in eternity. Listen to this. It says, no longer will there be anything accursed, but uh, uh, that's awesome. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And the doulos will be worshiping him. Do you realize that the terminology there is that in eternity future, the term being used regarding the ones who will be there, the redeemed ones who will be there, is the exact same term that's about to be used in Titus chapter 1. And that's that even in eternity, God does not remove the terminology that his slaves will be worshiping him. It goes on to say, they will see his face. And get this. And his name will be on their foreheads. Branded. Tattooed. By the way, like a slave. For all eternity. Titus chapter 1, look at verse 1. First five words, you tell me what they are. Read them. Okay, it's really Paul, a doulos of God. Let's talk about this for a minute. I understand, I really do understand why we use the term servant or bondservant in our translations. One, uh, because of the Latin history, uh, I believe the Latin word is servus. And it comes out of that. Also, the cultural sensitivity to the word slave. I totally understand that. You know, you realize that the word slave over generations has actually had different meanings. And in fact, on top of that, one of the things that has impacted our translation was back in the 1600s, uh, the word uh, doulos, or actually the word slave, the English word slave, when that was said, people did not picture what you and I think when we think of a slave, and actually did not picture what uh, was thought about in the first century when scripture was being right and thought of a slave. They thought of a prisoner. A slave was someone who was behind bars, chained in like a prisoner, incarcerated. And so at that time, they used the word servant because that was more correlation with how it was understood. But let me say this, the word is doulos. And in the time of the writing of the scripture, there were some half dozen words that were available to be, available to be used to describe a servant. Diakonos, deacon was one of them. There were a variety of words that could be used, but, but, but here's the deal. Doulos was not one of them. Why is that a big deal? Because servants are hired. Slaves are owned. Servants are hired. Slaves are owned. I mean, it's about another's possession. A hired servant does what their employer asks. I mean, think of a butler or a maid. And then they go home and they do their own life. They, they have a thing there that they do while they're there. And then they have a thing there that they do while they do. But a slave, that's not the case. A slave is 24-7 a slave. And at any time, they are to do what their master, what their owner asks of them to do at any time. Servants are hired. Slaves are owned. By the way, in Titus, look at chapter 2, verse 9. It's teaching doctrine and then out of it the practice he comes and he says slaves are to be submissive to their masters and everything uh, the word there is doulos and it's talking about a real true owned slave you go to titus chapter 1 verse 1 
Paul uses the exact same word. Now, do you think that in verse 1, Paul is kind of saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a servant. And then over here, he's saying slaves. It's the same idea. Paul had the picture. He was a slave of Christ. Why in the world would anyone like Paul go through all that he went through? Why would he do that? Why would he get beaten again and again and again for proclaiming the name of Christ? Have people smack talk him again and again and again for proclaiming the name of Christ and hang in there. Because he was a slave of Jesus. Owned. He had no choice. If you truly understand what being a follower of Christ really is, this is the heart and essence of it, folks. This is the reality of it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, douloi of Christ. Both of them, slaves. Servants are hired. Slaves are owned. Friends, the gospel is not a simple invitation to become Jesus' associate. It's not a merit badge that you add to your package of like badges of life. The gospel is a mandate to become holy, Jesus' slave. The gospel is a mandate to become holy, Jesus' slave. And Jesus' slaves, they live for him. Look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. That's sweet, especially in a conversation that's as heavy as it is right now. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, making it available, training us to renounce ungodliness. The grace that has appeared trains us to renounce worldly passions. The grace that has appeared trains us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. The grace of God trains us to wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify him for himself a people for his own possession who are zealots, who are zealous for good works. <laughs> his own possession. You are not your own. If you proclaim Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are owned. And you're to be zealous for good works. Working for Christ should be the kind of thing that it's like, are you kidding? What else would I want to do? After all, it doesn't even matter if I want to, because guess what? I'm a slave of Christ. Friends, when Jesus said, uh, go and make disciples, was, was that like a friendly suggestion? Mm -mm. Was that like a personal preference where I just really preferred if you did that? No. 
How about it being a command from the master to his slaves to do what he says and to expect them to obey it and do it? How about that? That's what it is. I mean, what Scripture says, church, serve one another. Is that a request? Or is that a command from the master to the bond slaves? Uh, The latter. When Scripture says, hey, church, love your neighbors, help the hurting, feed the poor, reach out to your community, that's not a request. That's a directive from the commander-in-chief that owns you and I. Doug, you're going to challenge me today to, uh, to be someone that serves both in and out, inside and outside the walls. I am, but I'm pretty busy. I've got a lot going on. I really don't prefer at this time to do that. In light of the conversation we just had, does that response not just seem absolutely sad and pathetic? Jesus is not your personal merit badge. He's not your genie lamp. He's not your get out of jail for free ticket. Now you can go do your own thing. He's not your kabuki idol on your mind shelf. He is the creator, crucified, risen, king and master that is offering up the opportunity for people to be able to be redeemed unto him and be his slave for eternity. Boy, Doug, this whole slave thing's kind of irritating me. I'm not really sure about it. Can I just remind you of this? There's really two choices. You can either be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to Christ. Now make your choice. That's the reality. And what's happening is the Christ thing is becoming so watered down today. And I am so concerned how the gospel has been presented in my lifetime and in the last two generations. It's this easy believism thing. It's this come and get Jesus on a candy-coated stick thing. And then we wonder why in these last two generations we've lost the future generation. In America, I think we've become looking more like Jesus' carnies than we are Jesus' slaves. And no wonder we're so not appealing. Christians are more into their hobby than they are living out their salvation. They're more into their sports than they are their savior. They're more into their clothing than they are Christ. They're more into talking and criticizing and talking about things rather than getting after it and zip it and how about we do it? We're more into our own hurts than we are into the Lord's will. We're more into winning our way than we are into winning the next generations for Jesus. I just want to ask, where's the altar calls for slaves for Jesus? 
There's going to be one here today. You've been bought. And you are not your own. And all our little consumerism, and all our little consumed with myself and what I want, by the way, believe me, I'm talking about me too today. And then when we get to the heart and core, what's really going on, We're not slaves anymore. But I'm calling us back. Because God calls us back. I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what my thing is right now. But I'm just telling you this. Let's get off our stinking thing. And let's get on his thing. That's why we work for Christ. That's why it's such a joy. From slaves to sin to slaves for Christ. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, friends. You've been bought. You've been redeemed by the king. Let's help each other stop being about ourselves and start being more about the king and about the creator and the redeemer and the master and the eternal one. That's what we need to be, slaves for him. And just imagine this. If Jesus' slaves came together in a purposed kind of a way, a unified kind of a way to serve one another and our world, oh my word, we're rocking the west side of Indianapolis if that's happening. I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about that. I mean, imagine if the 80-20 principle, if you don't know what that is, so often nowadays it's talked about 20% of the church is doing 80% of the work. What if we just bagged that? By the way, I don't think that's the case here. But what if it was 100-100? I vote for that. Imagine a local church where raising the next generation of slaves for Jesus Christ was really a passion of every one of us. I mean, imagine if Loving our world locally and globally was something that we did together and we're cranked up about it. That'd be awesome. Rock the world. <laughs> I believe it can be a reality. And I want to talk to you about that. I want to take some time here and talk to you about what's going on here, both inside and outside these walls and what's taking place so that we can... Uh, be together, effective, slaves for Jesus. Okay? Let me do that. Shift here. Inside these walls, uh, we have a unique design here. Inside these walls, uh, I'm absolutely convinced that it's not about getting more and more busy. It's actually about simple. It's actually about simple together. And simple together can conquer the west side of Indianapolis. Uh, we live today where, in, uh, if you've been in church, maybe you've seen it where you know, a lot of the designs are serve where you prefer, and then when you get there, you're stuck there for eternity. 
or serve where you get talked into it and then you're there for eternity. But here's part of the deal. We're a faith family. And in families, you don't always get to do everything you love. True? I mean, if that was the case, all our houses would be a mess. And that's just the fact of the matter. And yet, as a faith family, uh, we view it as, you know what? I understand preference, and I understand those things. And and yet, I'll say, but we're a family. And we want to serve together, so all in. All in. Because we're all in on the family gig together. Why? Because we're slaves of Jesus' gig. That's why. And so in this, uh, we have a rotation approach here on Sundays. And essentially what we're saying is, is we'd like for you to be serving inside and outside the walls here of this church. And uh, inside this walls, uh, functionally, uh, so much shows up on Sundays. We have a rotation that goes two, two, two. In fact, can you say that with me? Two, two, two. It's two weeks on, two weeks on, two weeks off. It's two weeks as serving as a usher greeter or two weeks serving uh, as set up teardown. And then there's two weeks where you're in kids ministry. Kids ministry. We'll talk about that in a second. Two weeks in kids ministries. And then you're two weeks off. Off. Woo! I love off. It's like every six weeks you got a two-week vacation here. And here's why this is designed this way. Because we want to share the load. And we're family. And let me talk about the kids' ministry portion of it. Because I think what we have going on here is very unique and it comes out of a... I'm going to try and keep it brief, some of my story, frankly. I had the great opportunity to serve at a great church before coming here for about five years. And I was hired for a particular position as an assistant pastor in a larger church. And it was about, uh, I think, a week or two into the whole process of it. And, and my senior pastor came and he said, Hey, Doug, we're kind of in a need and... We'd uh, love it if you could come in and step over and also take on with your role uh, heading up uh, children's ministry from kindergarten through sixth grade for two services for the whole church. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing inside. And same inside, I'm total fear. Because you're talking to a guy, give me junior high, give me high school, give me young adults, give me adults. Kids? That's not my thing. But I was asked and uh, said, okay, I'll, 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 I'll do my best. Um, served in that role for about four years and God just taught me immensely. A couple things I want to share with you that he taught me. Number one, kids are the next generation. Duh, Doug. No, I needed to know that. For real. Kids are the next generation, and every week they're in our own house. And I began to see that, why is it we're having a hard time, the the greatest thing of a children's ministry person is trying to get people staffing it. And then I began finding out every church was that way. It didn't matter if you're a church of 100 or if you're a church of 10,000. They were always hurting for people to work. And I began as the process of this going, wait a second, Matthew 20, 19 and 20, we're to be making disciples of all nations. This is the next generation. What's going on here? And the reasons were that people didn't want to serve in children's ministry were my exact reasons. Because doing that scared me to death. I didn't know how to do it. But as I was in there working with kids over the years, one of the things I began to see is kids love men. 
I mean, it was probably 85% were women and 15% were men. And every week I saw the kids who were just flocking around the men. And one of the things that came out of this is, where's the men with the kids? Even though the women were frankly better teachers on the whole, the guys being there, I'm telling you men, we need to put ourselves around our kids. And not just your own kids, but the next generation of kids. And so what we've done here is we've embraced this process to where uh, both men and women are, are involved in the process. I have more men serving in children's ministry here in a church a third the size that I did there. And I love that. Because men are engaging with kids and they need to see that. Children's ministry is a big deal here. And it's a big deal here because we believe that ministry for the next generation is right here in this house every week. And if we're not on doing that, let's just stop talking about doing the Great Commission because we can't even do it in our own house. Also, we believe that kids' ministry is a disciple-making ministry. Hey, if, as an adult, a lot of times with adults, it's like, hey, go get someone, spend some time with them. But I don't know how. Here's how you learn how. Go get with a kid. And you will find out that here's just like we talked last week, 1 Thessalonians 2.8, that your engagement, life on life, with the gospel, and just loving on them with your life, over time, is going to be used by the Lord to raise those kids. And by the way, you are learning to make disciples through the process. When one of those little boogers comes up to you and asks you about, is my kitty going to go to heaven? Take that theology. Work that one through and then try and translate that down to a child. I'm going to tell you what, that's a great question when all of a sudden you're interacting with adults and it may not be their kitty, but what about my unsaved uncle that died? Children's ministry is a place for growing disciple makers. It's not about child care. Also, we believe children's ministry is important because it's a serving one another ministry. Parents, Aren't you grateful for people that not only watch your kids, but invest in your kids? It's been really cool. Just the other evening, we're talking with someone, and they're saying, yeah, this adult, this person, they're like, I don't know who they are. And they're like, oh, are they this child's parents? I was like, love it. They knew the kid before they knew the parent because they've been around the kid. I love that. And by the way, it was a guy who said that. Love it. Love it. It's serving one another ministry. And how we have it structured up is we have gathering teachers. Those are kind of the teachers that do the main lesson prep and come in for the half an hour and kind of do the main teaching and then the worship time with the kids. And, and then there's others who are in there who then after the main teaching and worship time, they're in there kind of keeping control of the, the, the beautiful little banjis in there in the process and, and then in it. And then after that, they break out. And, and so say there's four people in there and we have broken out so that they're involved like a prayer group and, and then an activity group and, and a scripture memory group and, and a working on a, a, a what was it? Oh, reviewing the lesson, applying the lesson thing. And so what happens is that you go in and you just have like four kids just to be able to sit and talk about memorizing a scripture passage. How awesome is that? That this little, little dude is learning God's word and you're engaging with him. I want to tell you, friends, that's kingdom work. 
And if you're like, man, that's not my thing, that's okay, because that's Jesus' thing. And as a slave, it sometimes doesn't matter what I think about it. I'm called to raise disciples, and that's why I get so intense on this in our kids' ministry. Because I know what it's like not to have this view and to be totally disengaged. That's inside these walls. Can I just encourage you, if you're not serving on the inside of the walls, I'm not trying to chew you out. I'm trying to champion you on. What a blessing. Well, quickly, working Christ outside these walls. Three areas beyond our walls. International, regional, and local. International beyond our walls. Larry Woods, Larry, are you in here? Could you stand up? Larry uh, heads that up. And if you have questions, uh, make sure and check in with Larry. But I want to challenge you to consider taking an international trip every five years. And I'm talking about name the year every five years. The LaRue's are like every five years. We do it every like six months. (laughs) You know, and it's just every five years because I guarantee it will change your life. I promise you. And if it doesn't, I'll pay for your trip. I'm dead serious too. It's that big of a deal to us. You know, we got started in international trips on our uh, kind of our second summer, summer 2009. Uh, I got a a request from Harvest Bible Fellowship saying, hey, Doug, I know you're uh, just over a year old. Would your church be interested in maybe putting a team together to go over to York, Romania, and and just uh, get some people together to go over there? I'm like, Kurt, we're like brand new, man. I'd love to do that someday, but not right now. And so uh, I thought, okay, we'll give it a shot. So we hand this out on Sunday. 75 people say they would be interested in the possibility of considering it. I call Kirk back. I've got a problem. (laughs) We sent two teams. In fact, can I ask this? If you have been in the last five years on a ministry trip outside of the U.S. borders, and I don't care whether it's with us or in some kind of way, in the last five years, would you just stand up and just stay standing? Don't, don't clap. Just stand up. I just want to stand up. <laughs> this rock. Stay standing. I'm just going to tell you, this is not the normal church. This is not the normal church. And am I correct that all of you have gone on trips, that it has rocked your boat? It has given you a much bigger view of the world and of life and what's going true? Absolutely. Thank you. Go ahead and sit down. Well, here in December, Larry is probably going to be talking with you about trips this coming year. Um, we're looking to have one to each. Let me quickly make mention of this so you're aware. Uh, on our international side, we're involved with Harvest Bible Fellowship. Uh, 5% of our budget goes to Harvest Bible Fellowship to support them for the planting of churches. Harvest is planting churches all over the world, and we're a part of that in a financial capacity, and it's a delight to be able to do that. We also have three international partners, strategic ministry partners, we call them. One, Harvest Georg, Romania that uh, uh, we're looking to this coming year have another team go. Also Harvest St. Vincent Island, 
Um, we have a partnership with them. And then the third is Bethel Baptist Church in Haiti. It's not a harvest church, and that doesn't have to be all harvest churches, but uh, those are the three that we're partnering with. You, we are not a church where when you walk out, you will see 20 missionary pictures on the wall, and we say those are the people we send money to. We're taking an approach. We're smaller and more in on it is what we're about. And not just cash. We're talking people, both us going there and eventually them coming here as well. I'd love for us to see this expanded and covered all over the place where we have different countries. Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to send a team like to China or to India or to Australia or like Hawaii? (laughs) Quickly. That was a little delay there. uh, Quickly. Um, Local beyond our walls. Uh, Hans. I don't know if Hans is in here or not. If if, uh, Hans is... uh, helping with that, leading that. I'm so grateful for him. Two phases with this. Number one, we've got in this, we have, uh, we're working on small group developing partnerships. We're right now in the process of that where we're starting with our small groups and small groups are, are going to be strategically partnered with a ministry. Uh, and we're expecting for them to do two to three ministry opportunities at a minimum each year. We're not trying to do 20. We're trying to keep this in balance, okay, all together. And uh, part of that is loving on the poor and the hurting. Uh, four organizations that we're involved with is Meet Me Under the Bridge, uh, Serving Meals Under the Davids, Davidson Street Bridge. Uh, Secondly is Westminster Neighborhood Ministries. It's the near east side of Indianapolis, and they're providing food and clothing and services to the community. And third is Wheeler Mission, probably the most uh, well-known in the area, but providing goods and services to the homeless and to the poor. And a fourth area working to develop, because we have people here who are involved with it, is just loving on the incarcerated. What are some ways to do that? And you can see the small groups here that we're seeking to partner them up and get them going. That's loving on the poor and the hurting. Then also we're looking to love on community leaders. Uh, That's with the public safety departments like fire and police. What are ways we can just love on them and let them know we care? Not going and hand them tracks in their face, but food and love and kindness and just letting them know how appreciated they are in the love of Jesus. That's what we want to be able to do. Uh, also, as the public schools, we have, uh, because we have a board member in Avon Public Schools, has gotten us and we have two principals in the Avon school system that we've already had meetings with that want our help. In a public school system, how often do they say, we'd love to have people from your church coming and helping? And so we're developing some of that where we've got some small groups who are going to be going to an elementary school and some small groups who are going to be going to the Avon Middle School South, White Oak and Avon Middle School, and being involved with them. And we're going to learn this. We're in a learning process all together. But I want everyone to know what's happening with this. Then phase two uh, on local, we're going to be putting some things together that are kind of everybody and anybody can get on. It doesn't have to be in a small group. But if it's like, I would love to be able to have the opportunity to do that, we're looking to do that with the poor and the hurting and the incarcerated. Also in the school system, for instance, we've got people right now have said, could you, could, could you give us some regular people who come and read with kiddos for an hour? Like, I think we do. Kingsway Care Center, let's come and help them. Come along with them. That's what we're looking to do. Well, in your uh, update, there's an inventory card. Can you pull that out? And I quickly actually want to go down this, and I'd ask that you 
consider filling it out as we go down right now or else uh, bring it back and later. But you can see this is an interest inventory. I want to hear me on this. Because you mark something doesn't mean you're going to get a call this week. In fact, you may not get a call at all. Part of this is we're just putting, trying to put together some database of interest for down the road, okay? With this, let me just walk through it. Setup team, early morning people love you. Hospitality team, that's just helping with the coffee and so forth out there on a monthly basis. That's something Frankie, Karen, and I have been a part of that for four and a half years now. And one of the things would be helpful if we could get off of that, to be frank about it, just because of what's happening in, in the activity for us. But, uh, you know, hospitality and just taking a month uh, with that on a rotation basis. Greeting team, usher team, children's ministry team, special needs team, medical team, security team. It's not even necessarily that we have these together, but they're on the radar. Teardown team, got that. Is that teardown or teardown? It's both. Um, uh, production team, if that's something of interest. Administrative assistance, proofreading. We could use some people that are really good at grammar that we could like send some stuff to uh, kind of on a moment's notice and get back to us. Or general data entry. I don't even know what that is, but at some time there might be. Event assistance that we might have. Tuesday staff lunches. <laughs> that sounds pretty arrogant. Um, here's what I mean by that. We as a staff, and it's a big deal to me, we as a staff, we go and uh, we, every week on Tuesdays we do lunch together. And one of the things I'm looking to do in our budget is cutting back on that. Uh, but I think it's really important. I'm just telling you, I think it's very important so we don't become a CEO staff um, and have that time together. But one of the things that would help in just wanting to be creative and cut back on some funding for in the coming years or year or couple years is if you would be interested once a month or once a quarter or once a year, uh, do that and bring us lunch while we have staff meeting. That would be fantastic. Another is office cleaning, if here or there, just to help with that, or general office assistance, local beyond our walls, reading mentor, if you would be interested in going over to uh, White Oak or to Avon Middle School South and sitting, whether it's once a month or once a week, if we get organized teams together to do that, uh, they would love us coming in and helping with that. Prison outreach, hungry and hurting, miscellaneous, uh, party with the pastors, child care, party with the pastors, just setting that up and preparing that for us. Video film editing, graphic design, auto care benevolence, home maintenance benevolence, uh, prayer team. These are things we're on our radar. Hospital visitation, emergency meal, in case something happens to a family. We can like got some people on a list we can just call and get right after it. Future facility things, new construction, cleaning, where we have people who are a team and an organized times going through and just helping with the building during the process because construction people are so clean. Um, construction worker appreciation, a, a design team of people who would come over and just while we're building, maybe do something, bring some food, some snacks, just some encouragement over to the workers and be share the love of Jesus through that or lawn care, or landscape or parking team or facility cleaning if you go through that and we're going to have some someone at the door who can fill grab those on your way out today if you want to do that let me wrap it <laughs> this is quite an interesting mix of going at it and practical isn't it let me finish with matthew 16 let me just just listen then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake 
We'll find it. I want to wrap with two things. Number one, maybe you're a follower of Christ and you have a redemption story. But frankly, maybe as you look at it, you've seen Jesus on a candy stick. That's the wrong view. If you've come to Christ, I want to help you understand joyfully you are the slave of the Redeemer and conquering King. Maybe for you today, as well as for me, we need to step it up in our understanding of what life is all about, and it's not about me, and it's not about you. It's about our Master. And we're His slaves.